The text for the sermon this evening is Ephesians 6, verse 17, the first half. We'll read that first, then go back to Luke 2 and read about Simeon. And then we'll go ahead to Philippians chapter 4 and read the first 13 verses of Philippians 4. Starting at Ephesians, Ephesians 6, verse 17. We consider the first half of this verse and take the helmet of salvation. Take that as our text. Now let's go back to Luke, Luke chapter 2. We're going to start reading at verse 28 and read through verse 35. We read this because here Simeon makes a claim that he sees salvation. We're considering the helmet of salvation. Here Simeon is going to claim that he sees salvation. Luke 2, verse 28, Then took he, Simeon, took him, Jesus, up in his arms, and blessed God, and said, Lord, Now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And then let's go ahead in the Word of God to Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. Book immediately following Ephesians. Philippians 4, we read this because it teaches us about governing our, our thoughts. Philippians 4, 1 through 13. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Iodias and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known unto God. 
And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. We stop our reading of God's Word at that point. May God add His blessing upon the reading of His holy and inerrant Scriptures. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, by way of introduction, I call your attention to the first, albeit little, word of this text. It's a word that we oftentimes do not pay much attention to. It's the word, and. 17 of Ephesians chapter 6, and take the helmet of salvation. And is the most commonly used word in the New Testament. No word is used more frequently than the word and. Besides that, and is a small word, and thus, because of the frequency with which it is used, and the fact that it is not a large word, it might appear to us to be a rather insignificant word. It's a connecting word. It connects two thoughts together. One has begun a thought, but isn't finished developing that thought. So after he starts, he says, and this is true as well, as he continues developing that thought. But we ought not hastily overlook this little word, and. There is significance to it. The significance of the word and is this. It communicates to you and me and all of God's people that we need all of the pieces of the armor that God sets forth in His Holy Word. We not only need 
to have our loins girt about with truth and the breastplate of righteousness. We not only need to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we not only need the shield of faith, whereby we quench the fiery darts of the wicked, but in addition to all of those pieces of armor previously listed, and take the helmet of salvation. Sometimes I fear we too easily are too easily satisfied. Because after all, we have some of the pieces of armor in our lives. We have the girdle of truth. We have confessions that set forth God's Word. We've defended the truth, taught the truth, catechized our children in the truth. We should be well acquainted with the girdle of truth. So since we have truth, does that not mean that we can let down our guard a little bit? We can relax? And take the girdle of truth, take the breastplate of righteousness, put on your spiritual shoes, the preparation of the gospel of peace, Take that shield of faith and don't forget about your head. Because if you don't have a helmet on, your head is exposed. The helmet of salvation. First, we'll consider why we need it. Second, how we take it. Third, What assurance is given to us. For us to understand the necessity of the helmet of salvation, we must understand a little bit about what is a helmet. What is a helmet is used in a combat situation, and what then is the spiritual helmet, the helmet of salvation. A helmet, very simply, was a protective piece of armor that would shield the soldier's head from the blows of the enemy's club or the strike of the enemy's sword. Within the helmet that the Roman soldier would have on his head, there was the skull. And within the skull, the children know what's inside the skull, it's the most important part of the, 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 the part of the body that gives the commandments, the signals to the rest of the body, it's the brain. So the duty of the purpose of the helmet was to protect the soldier's brain. The brain is an incredible part of the human body. Consider with me briefly what the brain does so that we can understand the value then, the necessity of this helmet to protect the brain. We can speak of three different aspects of the work of the brain. The brain receives information. The brain 
processes information, and then the brain sends out information or signals, we might call them. Sends information to various body parts to perform this or that action. So, in a situation of a combat situation, we can walk through these steps. The brain receives information. It receives information from the eyes. And the eyes inform the soldier that there is the enemy advancing, and the enemy is advancing quickly. Once the brain has received that piece of information, then the brain processes that information. It understands that the enemy who is coming presents a threat. And because the advancing enemy presents a threat, therefore the soldier must take measures to defend himself. Receives information, processes that information, and then the brain sends signals to the various body parts so that the body can take defensive measures. It sends a signal to the legs to crouch down so that it can withstand the blow of the attacker. The brain sends a signal to the left arm to hold the shield up in place and sends a signal to the right hand to take the sword out so that you are ready to fight against this attacker. All of this, the brain can do at remarkably high speeds. In the moment that it takes one to blink their eyes, the brain can receive, process, and send signals to the rest of the body. Human advancement in technology is coming a long ways, but computers are nowhere near being able to process information at the speed and the ability with which brains can process information. How important it was that the Roman soldiers have their heads, their minds, protected by a helmet. But what then spiritually is our brain or our mind? Is it not the renewed mind of Jesus Christ? That's the mind that is in this let in us. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. Philippians two verse five. It's the mind that we have not by nature that we're concerned now about protecting, but it's the mind that we receive at the moment of our regeneration. It is the mind that we have by the operations of the Holy Spirit within us. It's a mind that desires to do that which is good and right according to the law of God. It's a mind that eschews all that is evil, and seeks to flee from everything that God has forbidden. It's the mind that exercises sanctified decision-making. It's it's the mind of Jesus Christ within us by which we delight in righteousness and in holiness. 
That's the mind within us. But even the holiest of men have but a small beginning of this new obedience. How hard the devil works to slay our renewed minds as he comes with the swinging sword of rebelliousness or self-righteousness. How he hurls darts at us. Even the dart of lust, which would consume and destroy our minds. Let's consider here, more specifically, how is it that the devil would attack the Christian's renewed mind? The way that the devil attacks a Christian's renewed mind is by attacking the three things, the three actions that we spoke of previously as actions that are performed by the brain. The brain receives information, the brain processes information, and the brain sends information, sends signals to the various body parts. And is it not the case that the devil attacks all three of those operations of the brain. First of all, the the devil attacks the way in which we would receive information. And what the devil would have us do is be selective about what information we receive as being important Necessary information for our spiritual well being. I'm told that the brain can only receive a certain amount of signals from the body parts at a certain time. When you're driving down the road without us even realizing this, Our brain is being selective about what pieces of information make its way into the brain and which ones never enter to our consciousness in the brain. We're simply going too fast down the road when one is traveling 60 miles per hour. You're going too fast to be able to take in all of the things that your eyes see. And so the brain is selective. That's why... We're less likely to get into a car wreck with a large vehicle as compared to somebody on a motorcycle. Because the brain subconsciously overlooks the person on the motorcycle not recognizing that that presents a threat while driving down the road until it's too late and there's a collision. Well, just as our minds subconsciously filter out certain things physically as not being important or relevant to our physical well-being, so the devil would have us filter out certain pieces of spiritual information contending that these are not necessary for your spiritual Protection. 
He'll allow the things to come to your mind that you know are glaring evidences of wrong and evil and injustices. But is it not the, what are called the small things that do not make it into our mind and thus do not even trouble us? We know, for example, that to leave the church of Jesus Christ would be a wrong, an evil, and a sinful thing to do. So, so we know that we mustn't leave church, but what if I come to church with the wrong attitude? The devil would have us think that that's okay, that's permissible, that's not even something that should be raising red flags if I come to church with the wrong attitude, either with a judgmental spirit or at the very least, lacking a spirit of love and unity for the other members of the church, the devil would have us dismiss that. Or consider your marriage. You know, your mind knows that it's wrong to go out and commit adultery and break the seventh commandment. But what about day after day being upset in your own marriage? Having emotional needs unmet. And so you start looking around. The devil would have our brains not recognize the seriousness of what we might call small offenses until incrementally, little by little, these offenses build up and just like the car driving down the road that smacks the motorcycle, so spiritually we do so to our ruin. What things in your lives are you tempted to dismiss as this not being important information spiritually? And then secondly, the brain processes information. And that too is how the devil attacks our brains in the way in which we would process information. In this situation, the information has made its way into our brain, into our conscious thinking. Something catches our attention, but now the question is, is the brain going to make wrong conclusions about what we have seen? And now we focus especially on our relationships with others. Is it not the case that oftentimes we misinterpret that words or actions of others. When somebody does something to us that doesn't seem quite right to us, maybe we reach out to them and they don't respond to us the way that we had imagined that they would respond. Maybe we send them a message, a text message, send them a card, and they don't respond right away to the message or the card that we gave them. Okay, here this information has made its way into our brains, but now how are our brains going to process this information? And would not the devil have us be critical 
judgmental in the way that we process information? Is it not human nature to assign evil motives to someone when they do not respond to us the way that we had imagined? Our minds can think and think about this and we become so excited about it and conclude that this person really must not like me at all because of what they've done to me. How we need to be careful in the way that we process information. And then third, what does the devil do as he attacks our minds? The devil would seek to control how we send or how we transmit information. And now we focus especially on how we talk to others. As we address someone else, perhaps there's somebody who needs a word of correction. Parents addressing a child who is misbehaving. We know, we observe correctly that this child is straying from truth. We know that the child needs a word of admonishment, and yet how often does it not happen that as parents we can become so frustrated with the way that this child is behaving, how they are testing our patience, that instead of responding in love to that child, we snap and show bitterness and anger. The devil would seek to control the way in which we send information to others. How we need this helmet of salvation to guard us from the wiles of the devil who would seek to control even our thinking. Let us take it, then. That's the command of this verse. And take the helmet of salvation. But let us consider, what does that even mean, to take the helmet of salvation? You see, the Arminian would look at a verse like this, and the Arminian would say, Aha, here is proof that the choice is yours. God has this gift of salvation. God presents this gift of salvation unto you. Now it is up to you to determine whether you are going to take this gift of salvation or whether you will reject that gift of salvation. We know that that cannot be the case. We've been well taught sovereignty of God and salvation. We know from other passages of God's Word that that, it cannot be the case that God is standing here presenting salvation and now it's up to you whether you're going to take that gift of salvation or not. Romans 8, verse 30, for example, speaking here of the golden chain of salvation. Romans 8, 30, Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. In whom he called, them he also justified. In whom he justified, them he also glorified. 
So in the first place, how do we respond to the charge of the Arminians? Well, Scripture interprets Scripture, and other passages of Scripture make clear that God doesn't give it as a choice, but that God is sovereign over it. But in the second place, we must understand what this verse, what Ephesians 6, verse 17, is talking about, especially who is the audience. It's it's so important whenever you're trying to find what the intention of the writer is, to whom is the writer speaking? And it becomes clear from the context here in Ephesians 6, verse 17, that the Apostle Paul is not talking to those who previously were unbelievers. Paul is not talking, he's not addressing those who have not yet been brought unto a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul is not seeking here in Ephesians 6, verse 17, to talk about how an unbeliever is brought unto the state of conversion and having faith in Jesus Christ. But instead, he's addressing those who already are in the Lord. They already have a relationship with the Lord. It becomes evident from the 10th verse of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, he calls them, brethren, those with whom he is one. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So it's clear here that the Apostle Paul is not reaching out to those who are yet unbelievers, to those who are unchurched. This is not missionary work on behalf of the Apostle Paul, but Paul is speaking to those who already are in the church of Jesus Christ. So if Paul is speaking to those who already are believers, then what does it mean to take the helmet of salvation. They already have the gift of faith. They already do believe in God. So what is he saying then when he says, take, take it, this helmet of salvation? It's this. It is to live hour by hour moment by moment, in the awareness of the gracious, powerful, saving work of Christ. That's what it means to take this helmet of salvation. It's to live moment by moment, hour by hour, in the awareness of the gracious, powerful, saving work of Christ. There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Simeon confessed as he held the little babe in his withered arms. He said, Lord, now lettest Thou Thy servant depart in peace according to Thy Word, for mine eyes have seen Thy salvation. Jesus is salvation. 
to take this helmet of salvation then is to live in the consciousness of the fact that Jesus delivers me from my sins. To take the helmet is to know that God has begun a good work in you. Philippians 1 verse 6. To take the helmet of salvation is to have the knowledge that God not only has begun that work, but that God will finish that work that He has begun in you. Psalm 138 verse 8, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the work of thine own hands. We may draw a distinction here between the reality of salvation and knowing salvation. Taking this helmet of salvation is knowing about salvation. Salvation as a reality has existed in all eternity. Salvation as a reality existed in the counsel and the mind of God. Has God determined to save unto Himself a certain number of people chosen in Jesus Christ? Salvation existed in God's mind. Salvation was demonstrated as God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into the world who died on the cross in order to make salvation possible. The proof, the guarantee of salvation was given on the third day when God would not permit His Son to remain in the grave, but God raised up His Son triumphant to life again. That's the reality of salvation in and through Jesus Christ. But is it not the case that we are not always so mindful of salvation? Sometimes we forget about what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. There are so many different things that can take our minds off of the almighty, gracious power of God to deliver us from our sins. We can become discouraged. We have ailments in the body, strife in the body, and the devil uses these to try and get to our renewed mind. Taking the helmet of salvation means that we have to control our thoughts. Philippians 4 verse 8 lists out what we are to think how we are to think, and what we are to think. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. How hard it is for us to think about that which is lovely, pure, 
just. How easy it is to let the devil get into our minds and have us think evil thoughts toward our spouse, toward the church member, toward the consistory member, toward the church. Taking the helmet of salvation is living in the awareness of who I am by grace. Do you even want that helmet of salvation? Do I even want that helmet? The reality is Humanly speaking, it is easier to pass on this helmet of salvation than it is to take it. The word take, take the helmet of salvation, can alternatively be translated as receive this helmet. It brings to mind an army recruit showing up on the first day of basic training. There goes the equipment manager. He goes around and it's his job to distribute all the pieces of armor and clothing that the recruits for the army are going to need throughout their training and then entering into service. And as that equipment manager goes around distributing helmets to the young recruits, is there not a certain level of fear and trepidation that these young recruits have as they receive that helmet to protect their head? On the one hand, it's an honor, a great honor receive that and be counted among those who will defend the nation. But on the other hand, what a frightening thought. There's a reason you're getting this helmet. The reason you're getting that helmet is the enemy does not want you alive. The enemy wants you dead. And he will go after your brain. Here is a helmet to protect your brain. There's a certain amount of fear even spiritually then is there not about receiving this helmet of salvation. Who wants it? Who is going to be the first to stand up and say, yes, I. I am going to be that brave soldier who's going to enter into battle. I will lead the troops. I will be the first one to have my head lopped off by the enemy's sword. But it is not altogether wrong to have a healthy respect for receiving this helmet of salvation. The Lord is not pleased to use proud people 
who believe that of themselves they have the strength needed to go into battle and of their own might to take over the enemy. God doesn't use arrogance to build up His church. But God is pleased to use people weak, defenseless of themselves who understand their own inability to resist the wiles of the devil, but who lean by faith on the protection that God Himself gives them. Of ourselves, we would never say, yes, give me this helmet. Yes, I want to go engage in battle against the wicked one. But as God gives to us that gracious, irresistible gift of faith, the Christian says, yes, Lord. I am thy servant. I will go forth, conquering and to conquer. I will guard my mind. I will work to allow as much information as possible to come into my brain. I'm not going to be insensitive to what information is important and what information is not important. Yes, God. I will strive to process this information in a way which is accord with Thy Word in a way which shows that I submit to Philippians 4, verse 8, whatsoever is true, holy, lovely, of good report, I'll think on those things. Yes, Father, I will receive this helmet. God assures us as He gives this helmet of salvation, And the assurance that God gives is that we will receive in full the gift of salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. Here the helmet is described as the hope of salvation. Hope, that's something that we look forward to receiving. It's something that we do not have yet in full reality, but something that we anticipate receiving in the future. The confidence that the Christian has is that he will receive that hope of salvation. Already now we have received in principle salvation. Already now we live in the awareness of the truth that I am the child of God, that I've been redeemed with the blood of the Lamb, and that I belong and forever shall belong unto Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. But for the full manifestation of that salvation, we wait. Just as godly Simeon waited and waited and waited for Jesus Christ to come until at last He could hold Him within His arms and say, Lord, now lettest Thou Thy servant depart in peace, for 
I have seen thy salvation. So it is for you and for me that we wait for salvation. We wait for the glorious return of Jesus Christ when He will, recome, when he will come on the clouds of glory and we will, He will take us off of this earth and remove the curse from off of this earth and He'll bring us into the glories that await in heaven. We hope and we wait. We wait not as the world waits without any confidence that this future good will be granted. But we wait with the full assurance that God is faithful to His Word. We have the love of God spread abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who has given us. And that hope will not be put to shame. We may be confident of this salvation because salvation is of God. This word salvation is only used five times in the New Testament. Of the five times that it is used, four of the five times it makes the text makes abundantly clear that salvation is of God. It's not man's salvation, God's salvation. The only text that does not make explicit that salvation is of God is our text, Ephesians six verse seventeen. But all of the rest make clear that salvation is of God. The words of Simeon, verse 30, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. God's salvation. The next chapter in Luke, Luke 3, verse 6, this is the words of John the Baptist, And all flesh shall see the salvation of of God. Let this be your comfort and your confidence, Christians, as you receive the helmet of salvation, that it has divine, heavenly origins. The helmet of salvation does not come from man. Any hope that man will bring salvation to you or to your children will result in disappointment and distress. Man cannot protect your minds, my mind, from the darts of the devil. Man cannot protect the minds of children from the darts of the devil. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. So we stand. We are prepared and ready for the attacks of the devil. We have God's protection in place. 
We need not be concerned about what tomorrow might bring. We are not fearful of what man may do unto us. But with the helmet of salvation, we advance as Christian soldiers into the battlefield, confident of the victory, for we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, will Thou equip us with this helmet of salvation. Give us the awareness of the fact that we belong unto Thee. We fight not as lone soldiers. We are part of the company of the elect. Encourage us as only Thou art able. Fill our hearts with hope and faith. and Send us home with Thy blessing for Jesus' sake. Amen.